0: The following is brought to you by Canyon Ridge Church at Tacoma. For additional podcasts or information on service times and upcoming events, please visit us online at www.explorecrc.com. We um, did a survey in the last time we did community groups, and we just ask people about basic needs in life. We wanted to find out what their needs were and to see if there was some way that the church would be able to uh, address those needs and meet those needs. And so uh, this morning comes out of that survey that we conducted, and one of the questions that we asked people was, um, do you feel that uh, you need to see yourself the way God sees you instead of the way you see yourself, yes or no? And we had about 45% mark that question, yes, that they would like to be able to see themselves in a different way, perhaps in the way that God sees them. And so that really came out of uh, that survey. Today's message comes out of that. Uh, This is such a common thing in our culture. We're literally inundated with all kinds of images and pictures about how we should look, how we're supposed to look, what looks good, what doesn't look good. Norman Wright, who's a very uh, popular Christian counselor, he says that 10%, 10% of all women struggle with some sort of eating disorder. That's a huge number. He says that 25% of all college-age women struggle with some sort of eating disorder. He said in his, his book that women, uh, women would like to be 10% Uh, thinner than they are, even when they are at their um, optimal weight, at their medical weight, what the doctor says they should weigh, they still would like to be 10 pounds lighter. But not just women. Women aren't the only ones who struggle with these issues. Men struggle with them as well. Who could forget Michael Jackson? Here's a guy who really hated the way he looked and spent his whole life in this struggle in front of all the people uh, to change how he looked. And men, I think, when men struggle with these issues, a lot of times they keep it deep down inside and they don't express it. And it comes out in other ways, maybe in depression or anger or just deep feelings of being inadequate or a loser or not matching up or not being smart enough. And so, the Bible explains how all of this began. I'd like to take a moment this morning and look at that to see what this uh, looks like from God's perspective. So if you have a Bible this morning, turn to Genesis chapter 2. And if you're going to uh, use the Bible that's in the chair below uh, below you there, uh, turn to page 4. Genesis is right at the beginning. There was an aging pastor, and uh, he started having problems with his teeth, and so he decided to go ahead and just get rid of his teeth and go with dentures. And uh, so the first Sunday, he was speaking with the new dentures. It hurt so bad, he could only speak about 10 minutes and uh, sat down. The following week, same thing happened, spoke for about 10 minutes, had to sit down. Third week, he got up there, and he spoke for an hour and then two hours, And about two hours and 45 minutes into it, the people just absolutely had enough, walked up on the platform, grabbed him, and literally pulled him down to get him to stop so they could go home. And they questioned him afterwards and said, what in the world happened? He said, well, the first week, my dentures hurt. I could only go 10 minutes. Second week, they were still hurting. Third week, I just, by mistake, grabbed my wife's dentures, and I couldn't get them to stop speaking. Genesis chapter 2, now verse 18 is where I'll begin. The Lord God said, It is not good for the man to be alone. I will make a helper who is just right for him. So the Lord God formed from the ground all the wild animals and the birds of the sky. He brought them to the man to see what he would call them. And the man chose a name for each one. He gave names to all the livestock and all the birds of the sky and all the wild animals. But still, there was no helper just right for him. So the Lord God caused the man to fall into a deep sleep. While the man slept, the Lord God took out one of the man's ribs and closed up the opening. Then the Lord God made a woman from the rib and he brought her to the man At last, the man exclaimed. Or in the message version, he says, hot dog. Or maybe that's the redneck version, I'm not sure. This is bone from my bone and flesh from my flesh. She will be called woman because she was taken from man. And this explains why a man will leave his father and mother and is joined to his wife and the two are united into one. Now the man and his wife were both naked and they felt no shame. In other words, they saw everything and they had no regard whatsoever for the outward appearance. Chapter 3, chapter 3, verse 8. When the cool evening breeze were blowing, the man and his wife heard the Lord God walking in the garden, so they hid from the Lord among the trees. Then the Lord called out to the man, where are you? He replied, I heard you walking in the garden, so I hid. I was afraid because I was naked. So because of sin, he and Eve sinned. They were no longer innocent. Who told you that you were naked? The Lord God asked. Have you eaten from the tree whose fruit I commanded you not to eat? The man replied, it was the woman that you gave me that gave me the fruit and I ate it. This is the original, she made me do it defense. Probably what Tom Cruise is working on right now. But then the Lord God asked the woman, what have you done? The serpent deceived me, she said. That is why I ate it. And that is the original, the devil made me do it. Excuse. Then he said to the woman, I will sharpen the pain of your pregnancy, and in the pain you will give birth. And you will desire to control your husband, but he will rule over you. Unless, of course, you let your wife wear the pants, and in that case, you'll both be miserable. Wait, that's not in there. Adam and Eve were created originally as God intended them to be. And they were completely naked, and they gave no regard for how they looked. Their physical appearance was of no importance. It didn't matter. So there was no need for clothing, and there was nothing going on in their minds that would distort their perspective of how that other person looked. But then when sin entered into their hearts... All of a sudden, everything changed, and the outer appearance became distorted. So before the fall of man, physical appearance was unimportant. And after the fall, the appearance is skewed. And when we are in heaven and everything is fully restored, we will go back to how it was previously, where the outer appearance is unimportant. But ever since the fall of man, mankind has been struggling with our perspective of the outer appearance, of what we see. Our struggle has been shall we believe God and what he says? Shall we have a God-like perspective of one another, or shall we believe something else? And that's been the key all along. So very briefly, I would like to go into this morning three common lies that we believe about what we see. All of us encounter these. The first one is, I'm not worth much. Now, If you believe what God says is true, then everything he doesn't, anything contrary to what he says is not true, right? Believing God is the truth, not to believe him is to believe something else that is not true. Here's a statement. I am not worth much. I'd just like to read to you some of the things that people have written to me over the years about themselves. The first one, I quote, feeling inferior has been a lifelong struggle. Many times it has caused me to withdraw from relationships, even though I am a people person and outgoing, end quote. But I was told as a child that I was useless as tits on a bear. I soon believed that I was. I've come to the conclusion I must be stupid, end quote. But after years of one failure after another, I've come to the conclusion that I'm just a loser. I will never be successful. Just this year in May, one week after Mother's Day, Brandon Thomas, a 20-year-old student at the University of Washington, opened the patio door in his dorm room and jumped to his death, I believe 11 stories down. And Brandon's parents were interviewed on TV and the radio, and they said that he had this blushing disorder that he couldn't control, and he would blush incredibly all the time for no reason. And he'd become so obsessed with this that people would laugh and make fun and tease him that he literally wouldn't ride the elevator, 11th floor And he would walk all the way down and all the way up because he didn't want to ride the elevator for fear of who he would see and would he blush at the wrong time and they would make fun of him. And he came to the point where he just couldn't live anymore with this terrible, embarrassing condition and he took his life. But I'm not worth much is a very powerful, powerful lie. And if you believe it, It'll destroy your life. Lie number two is I need to learn to love myself. In fact, we are even told by professionals that that's what you should do. Learn to love yourself because if you love yourself, then you'll be able to love other people, right? Love yourself. Because Jesus said something like that, didn't he? He said, love your neighbor as you love yourself. But Jesus didn't mean that if you love yourself so much, then you will be able to love other people. What he was saying is that you already love yourself so much. And because you love yourself so much, you should love other people in the same way. If you had a toothache, would you just say, oh, well, you know, tooth, just deal with it. Or would you stop what you're doing immediately and go deal with the problem? You think about yourself all day long. You are the biggest subject of your life. Have you noticed that whenever there's a picture, somebody brings a picture, and you're in the picture somewhere, the first person you look for is yourself? You are your favorite subject. (laughs) You don't need to learn to love yourself any more than you already do. You already love yourself immensely. In Ephesians 5, Paul compared this same kind of love to loving your spouse. He said, for a man who loves his wife actually shows love for himself because no one hates his own body but feeds it and cares for it. So what God says is that you find your worth in him not in trying to love yourself more. In fact, just the opposite. Lose your life for others' sake will give value to who you are. The problem is not loving yourself. The problem is a wrong view of who God is. And here's the third lie. Happiness and success will be mine when I become more attractive. It's astounding how many people buy into this lie. They think that they don't get promotions or they don't have success in life because of the way they look. And when you fall into this kind of lie, you will make some of the worst decisions of your life. You are in danger of making a decision that could be a lifelong torture by marrying the wrong person just because of the way they look. Dating a guy because of how he looks, and that's the only reason, and that turns out to be the absolutely worst person for you to be with. But you're there because you think that looks is what is going to make you happy. Misery, depression, and heartache follows the person who pursues life thinking that they will have happiness if they look good. Some people fall into the same trap, and along this is very similar, believing that they'll get ahead in life if they dress a certain way or if they look hot. But God clearly says that promotion comes from Him. It doesn't come from the north, the south, the east, or west, West, but promotion comes from God Himself. We look to God for those kinds of things. And women who uh, fall into this trap and try to dress hot and Seductive usually attract men for all the wrong reasons. Constant comparing yourself to others. Envy, lust, promiscuity, sex additions, additions, eating disorders, seductive dressing. This is a huge list that goes on and on and on, all as a result of having a wrong perspective of the outward appearance. Listen to the wisdom of Solomon. He said this. Charm is deceptive and beauty is fleeting. But a woman who fears the Lord is to be praised. Let me be clear. Nowhere in the Bible does it say it's a sin to look good. In fact, we all want to look good. And it's nothing wrong with wanting to look good or to look your best. So it's not a sin to look good. But what happens is when we become obsessed with how we look, we get into all kinds of bondage. Remember, God's perspective is the inner life more than the outer life. God is looking on the inside. Accepting the way you look begins with an accurate assessment of who God is and what He's like, His nature's his attributes. So I've asked a friend of mine to come this morning and help me with this a little bit and share her testimony. This is Olivia. Olivia, would you come on up? Because, um, of course, I know Olivia. Here. And um, I know her testimony because she shared it with me. And this is something that uh as Olivia has struggled with in her life and and found some victory. And so she heard that we were talking about this topic and said, yeah, I'll come and share a little bit about my life and and what I've gone through. So uh would you it's a little sometimes it's a little intimidating to be up here in front of all these people. So why don't you just uh give a big like uh smile and a hey hey to Olivia, all right? <laughs> right? Hey, hey. <laughs> All right, okay, <laughs> Olivia. Why don't you just mm-hmm. share, uh, share briefly because they they don't know what I know. Mm-hmm. Uh, just briefly your testimony, and then we'll okay. ask you some questions.
1: Okay. Well, um, the the lies that he shared and the quotes that he shared from other people, I relate to a great deal, and I'm sure most of you can too. Um, so, my personal story is about eating disorders, but. Um, you know, like you said, maybe 10% of people or something struggle with that, but everyone struggles with this in some way. It comes out in everybody's lives in in different ways, whether it's a struggle for, you know, fame or attention or, you know, whatever. So my personal story is about eating disorders, so I'll share that with you. Um, Started probably when I was about seventh grade. Um, Had, you know, very normal childhood, never normal family. Seventh grade, I put on some weight, just, you know, growth spurt. I was eating a lot, then I stopped growing, and I kept eating, and So, anyway, seventh grade, my doctor said I was a little heavy. My parents started making some comments. Um, You know, junior high is ruthless, so I got made fun of a little bit and everything. Um, What seems ridiculous to me now is I say it started with me being overweight, but that was about 50 pounds lighter than I am now. (laughs) And that's when it all started. And so, anyway, um, so, yeah, so I uh, – didn't really do a whole lot purposefully to lose weight. You know, my parents were probably paying more attention, changed our diet or something. And so I lost a little weight and all of a sudden I got all this attention and people were coming up to me. My mom's friends were coming up to me saying, you know, how can I get my daughter to do what you're doing, to lose weight, to be skinny and everything. And, um, just got tons and tons of attention. And I liked it, of course, obviously. So I decided to keep going, even though I really didn't need to. Um, so anyway, that on top of, you know, I've always been a perfectionist and a pleaser and I avoid conflict like the plague. So I, uh, you know, I stuff all my pain. I try to hide all my faults and everything. Just, um, I was also really, really shy at the time. If the teacher even called on me, I would turn bright red. So I tried to hide everything. And so I, um, I really had this goal of, of keeping everything perfect looking on the outside. Um, you know, not just my body, but everything, no faults, no, um, you know, no one could know anything bad about me. Everything had to be happy, perfect, smiley all the time. So um, so anyway, so that turned into about a year of starving myself. I eventually got to be underweight and um, was really, really miserable. Um, it was, uh, yeah, it was horrible. It was all-consuming. It consumed every thought all day, all the time. I was thinking about food. I was thinking about what I would eat, what I wouldn't eat, it became a control issue. Um, you know, any anything that was going on wrong in my life, you know, conflict with my parents or things at school, everything got focused into this issue of eating. Um, so anyway, so I starved myself for at least a year, and, um, and eventually that turned into I would start throwing up things that I ate as well, um, I tried to keep it all hidden for a long time. Eventually, you know, some people found out. I shared it with some people. And, you know, eventually my family noticed and stuff. And, and then it became much more of a control issue. When I, when I started throwing up, I knew I was doing something wrong. It wasn't just, well, you know, I'm dieting. You told me to diet. You told me to drop some pounds. You know, I could, I could kind of rationalize it. Once I started throwing up, I knew it was sin. I knew it was wrong. I knew it was not what God had for me. Um, I knew it was dangerous, I knew it was hurting myself, I knew it was hurting the people that I told about it, and I still chose to hang on to it. Um, it was it was about power and control, It was uh, it was a way that I could still seem perfect on the outside, but I knew I couldn't really be, I knew I couldn't really be perfect, so I would have this sin that was completely secret, that no one would know about, and I was never going to give it up. Um, so i was I was holding on to my sin and yet letting everyone else think I was perfect at the same time and it was um it was it was a bit of a power rush and it was really um sickening it was uh, I was all messed up in the head and um and I knew it, and i wasn't ready to let it go yet um let 's see what else can I share uh I had a friend that, you know, we, we tried to share this with each other. She was in the same boat, and it turned into just a ridiculous competition between the two of us. We'd pretend to help each other, but we'd really egg each other on. And anyway, I went to my health teacher once to try to get help for her. And he he was the first person who commented, you know, he listened and he gave me some advice for her. And he says, well, you look like you've you've lost some weight too. Are you okay? And my jaw just hit the floor. He was the first person who had said anything about my weight loss and didn't say, good job, didn't say, how can I do what you're doing? How can I pass that on to someone else? Because other people would say that to me. They'd say, I want to do what you're doing. And I would think, I'm killing myself. You don't want to do what I'm doing. And he was the first person to see my sickness for what it was and call me on it. And I denied it, and I ran away, and I never talked to him again. But at the time, he was the only person I thought – that really even cared. Um, he was the only person who saw it for what it was, who wasn't impressed <laughs> with my weight loss. Um, and, and even as people did find out what was going on and they tried to help me, it was still all about food and pounds. It was about getting me to eat and getting me to gain weight. And no one ever really asked me what was going on on the inside and why I got to that point in the first place. Um, that was pretty rare. So... Um, So let's see. Eventually, I I told some helpful people. I told a lot of people that weren't helpful, um, you know, because I wanted sympathy or attention or whatever. But eventually, I decided I wanted to get better. I told a couple people whose faith I respected who weren't struggling in the same boat that I was because that girl that, you know, when we tried to help each other, that was just a mess. So I told someone who wasn't struggling with the same issue and whose faith I respected and she prayed for me and she shared scriptures with me and, um, and it was a long, long process to get rid of all the lies that were in my head, to learn to see myself the way God saw me. Um, in terms of the eating disorders, I kind of just stopped cold turkey. Once I, I, I felt the strain of hypocrisy on my life, I knew I wasn't going to grow in God. I knew I wasn't being a good leader. I wasn't, um, you know, I just, I felt too fake. I knew I was becoming just a shell. And so I kind of just stopped cold turkey and I made a promise to God, said I will never again deal with this issue in this way. And I haven't. And it's been, how old am I? <laughs> it's been like 18 years, I think, and I've never done any of that stuff since, but the lies are still there. They're, you're still, I mean, like you said, you're faced with them every single day. The temptation is still there. Um, so it was a long journey to to learn how to be vulnerable, how to share my faults, how to take my walls down and let people get to know me, and how to, um, you know, how to accept God's God's love and acceptance and all that stuff. You know, that took years to to deal with. Um yeah, I guess I'll stop there.
0: <laughs> you said that um you know the that you've overcome it yet the those feelings still there and mm-hmm. we um it seems like the culture has this picture of what the ideal man or woman looks like mm-hmm. or should be. Mm-hmm. And we get hit with that continually twenty-four-seven. Mm-hmm. Um and so how do you how do you say no to that? How do you combat that and just and just say um, no, I'm not going to try and fit into mm-hmm. to your mold.
1: A, a really big thing to me was who I chose to surround myself with. Um, if you're surrounded by people who think that way, who are always judging that way, then you're going to feel judged by them in that way. And um, so it was surrounding myself with people who saw themselves the way God saw them. Who, um, uh, you know, there's there's a difference between God's beauty and the world's definition of beauty. Um, you know, God says he He makes all things beautiful in his time. There's, there's a verse that says, I will beautify the humble with salvation. And, you know, God makes us beautiful. We are all beautiful creatures. And then there's what society thinks is beautiful, and they are not compatible. You cannot try to be, um, you know, the beauty that God speaks of. I brought up a couple verses that were helpful to me. Um, one of them is, your beauty should not come from outward adornment, such as elaborate hairstyles and the wearing of gold jewelry or fine clothes, Rather, it should be that of your inner self, the unfading beauty of a gentle and quiet spirit, which is of great worth in God's sight. Again, it doesn't say you shouldn't wear gold jewelry. It says your beauty shouldn't come from that. Um, and so trying to have that gentle, quiet spirit and trying to be hot and sexy and get a bunch of attention at the same time, those two are not compatible. So, um, so I, had to, I had to relearn what beauty meant and learn... Um, you know, what God saw as beautiful. And then, you know, if there's things in your life that just leave you feeling um, feeling down, feeling critical, feeling negative, feeling competitive, you know, whether it's magazines or TV shows or, you know, whatever. I mean, all this reality TV stuff is all about... You know, what are they wearing? What what hairstyle is in now and everything? And it's just so ridiculous. And if you can watch it and laugh at it, fine. If you watch it and you feel terrible about yourself afterwards, then stop watching it, you know? Stop buying those magazines. Stop watching that TV and stuff. And, um, you know... I, I had to do that, like, with even the the Home and Garden channel, because <laughs> I was watching all these house fixer-upper things, you know, and for a while, it was motivating, and it gave me good ideas, but after a while, it left me feeling terrible about my house, and I thought, <laughs> my house sucks, it'll never be the way I want it to, and I realized that all that stuff, it wasn't coming from my house, it was coming from me, it was coming from what I was filling my head with, so I stopped watching it, <laughs> so. Um,
0: you know, it depending on what you're struggling with, you know, Mm -hmm. it's intensely personal, Mm -hmm. and um, I mean, the last thing we want to do is just start telling people or tell anyone, and a lot of people um, wrestle with things for years upon years because Mm -hmm. uh, they they just can't find the courage to say something to someone, and yet Mm -hmm. that was the one thing that really started you on this process of Mm -hmm. getting help, was to ask for help. you have any tips yeah. for people who may be in that boat, and maybe today and they're listening and they think, well, there's no way I could say mm-hmm. anything to anyone. I, I feel so ashamed. You know, mm-hmm. What would what you say to them?
1: I'd say it's time to take the walls down. I had walls around my heart for so long. And when you do that, when you protect yourself so much because you don't want to get hurt, you know that on the inside you're just begging for someone to break through you build up all these walls and you think you know if someone really loved me they would try hard enough they would get through those walls and it's not that person's job you know if you make people work so hard to convince you that they love that they love you that you're likable that you're worth getting to know you know eventually people will stop trying and that's not their fault that's your fault. If you've got all these walls up, you've got to take them down. And I know it's scary and it's hard. And sometimes you do get hurt. Sometimes you have all these hopes and desires that someone's going to swoop in and rescue you, and they don't. that's still okay. You still have to take the walls down. It's better to, um, you know, to at least give people a chance. And, and give people some grace, too. Know that they're not perfect. That, you know, no one can read your mind. No one can know what's going on. No one knows the exact perfect words to say. But you got to give people a chance. And, um, and, and more than that, to let your, let your security come from God. Don't be waiting for someone else to rescue you. You know, this is all about, um, you know, like you said, you're always looking at yourself, critiquing yourself. You know, we're always, always, always focused on ourselves you could turn that around and always be focused on other people too. You know, what are they doing for me or not doing for me? You know, how long has it been since this person called or since this person complimented me or whatever? You know, you turn all your focus on other people and you become just as critical, just as judgmental, um, just as envious or feel like you're never you're never going to be good enough, you're never going to win them over or whatever. You need to put your focus on God, not on other people or on yourself, but keep your focus on God.
0: Uh, one final question. Um... You know, you said that there's a lot of second-guessing yourself and always questioning yourself and uh, browbeating, and, you know, you're not good enough and you don't measure up and you fail at this and this and this. And, mm-hmm. and you can just get into this mode where you're just doing that all the time. And um, uh, so any tips for somebody who's, you know, kind of stuck in that mode of just constantly criticizing themselves? Mm-hmm. Anything that, that you've encountered that would help them? sort of get away from that behavior and, and start something more positive.
1: Mm-hmm. I, I still fall into that because I'm still a, a perfectionist and, you know, I've always been the pleaser and trying to impress people and, you know, the good student and the good daughter and, you know, all that stuff. So, um, so yeah, failing is hard. Failing is, you know, I beat myself up forever if I do the slightest thing wrong or, you know, so, so I get that. Um, one thing that's been really helpful to me is, um, realizing and kind of visualizing the consistency of God's love, I look at my life as like this timeline and I look back at when I was so messed up and I was failing God and I was failing my family and failing my friends and, you know, deliberately choosing not to give up the sin that God told me to, you know, I look at that time in my life and realize that God loved me exactly the same then as he does right now. And then I'll look back at some other time in my life where I think that's the best I ever did. That's the closest I was to God. I was reading right. I was praying right. I was leading people to Christ, you know. God loved me exactly the same then as he does right now. It doesn't matter where I'm at in this time life of, you know, highs and lows, screw-ups and successes, you know. God's love for me never, ever changes. And I know I'll have successes and I know I'll have failures in the future. And God's love for me is not ever going to change so um, it helps me to, to rest in him, to trust him, to know that, that he's the one changing me. It's not my job to make myself more like him. It's his job. He is making me more like him. And I can just rest in that and trust in that and know that when I screw it up, he still loves me exactly the same.
0: That's the grace of God, isn't it? Yeah. <laughs> well, you are a brave woman. Thank you for sharing yes. today. you give her a hand for sharing today? Thank you. Let me just finish up with this. If your view of God is inaccurate, then your view of yourself is going to be inaccurate. An accurate picture of God provides a deeper and deeper level of trust of Him. When you understand correctly who He is and how He feels about you, His thoughts towards you, then your trust for Him grows deeper and deeper every day. Let me give you just a glimpse of this this morning and read some statements to you about who God is and His thoughts towards you. God is the loving, concerned Father who is interested in the intimate details of our lives. He is the Father who never gives up on us. He is the God who sent His Son to die for us though we were undeserving. He stands with us in good and in bad circumstances, as Olivia just said. He is the ever-active creator of our universe. He died to heal our sickness, pain, and grief. Jesus has broken the power of death. He gives all races and sexes equal status. He is available to us in prayer. He knows our needs. He created us for an eternal relationship with Him. He values us. He does not condemn us. God values and causes our growth. He is in charge of our growth by His grace. He comforts us. He strengthens us through His Spirit. He cleanses us from our sin. He is for us. He is always available to us. He is the God of hope. He helps us in temptation. He provides a way of escape in temptation. God is at work in us. He wants us to be free. He is the Lord of time and And eternity. I have some practical steps for you this morning that I think if you begin to implement these in your life, you'll begin to see some change and some improvement in your outer appearance and how you perceive yourself. Number one, accept the fact that you are in process. Nobody's life is completed until you're dead. And even then, you are born again in Christ in heaven as a new creature, creation with a new body. All things are restored. Everything is done. So nothing is complete. Everything on the earth is in process. So you are in process. The person next to you is in process. You're not finished. You're not completed. God is still at work. You sinned yesterday. You'll sin today and you'll sin tomorrow, God is still at work in your life. God knows that you're a sinner. He's not surprised by that. God knows that you're going to sin. He has already seen it. And yet, He is still working inside of us. Number two, choose to affirm yourself rather than tearing yourself down. This is something that you can do. You can actively participate in this. Uh, We've given you a little card this morning, just a little card. And maybe you would take that card and you would use it. It would help you. And maybe you wouldn't. It's up to you. But just a little card on one side. It's a positive statement about who you are in Christ. On the other side are two scriptures. Take it with you. Uh, Put it in your purse. Put it in your wallet. Put it in your pocket. Carry it with you. And once a day, take it out and read that to yourself. Look at that and confess to yourself out loud if you can of what God says about you that is true. And number three, learn what God says about you. We perish because of lack of understanding. We don't know what God thinks about us, what he says about us, but all of that is included in the scriptures. One thing that is just amazing to me, it's shocking, the Bible says that God sings over us. And When I think about uh, God singing over me. I try and think of what his voice would sound like. As I don't have a singing voice. You don't want to hear me sing. But I would imagine that God as the creator has this amazing singing voice. You know, was, I picture him as a deep baritone, you know, just, but just, just powerful and smooth and beautiful. And, and what does he sing? What does he say? What are the words that are in the songs about me? And I think it's probably something about destiny, about future grace for my life. You see, my past says that I have no future, but Jesus says that I do. And God is singing over me. That's pretty incredible. In 1 Peter 2 and 4, it says that Jesus was rejected by people, but he was chosen by God for great honor. You see that? We are rejected by people all the time, even ourselves. But the fact that we are chosen by God to be his gives us enormous value and honor. Folks, it all comes down to this. Who are you going to believe? Are you going to believe what God says about you? Are you going to believe what everybody else says? Or believe what you say? Are you going to believe the lies of our culture that tell you that your outward appearance is the most important thing? Or that you have no value, that you're a loser and a failure and you don't measure up? Are you going to believe those things are you going to believe God? Now, it isn't just like a switch you flip and all of a sudden you're amazing. (laughs) It's a process, you know, it's a journey. You walk in this each day and it gets better and better and better. And you surround yourself with people who have that like understanding and they help you and they encourage you. That's the purpose of a community group. To get together with people and develop your faith even deeper. But this morning, I think it begins with a decision, a choice you make. And I would encourage you this morning to just make that choice in your heart and say, you know what, God, today I determine and I choose to listen to you and nothing else. I'm not going to buy into that stuff. I'm not going to listen to it anymore. I'm going to listen to you. And then, you know, you make that decision. And you know what's going to happen is the next time you look at yourself in the mirror, that old old tape's going to start playing again. The Holy Spirit's going to remind you that decision you made today. And you're going to say, no, no, I'm not going to sit there and beat myself. I'm going to, I'm going to accept what God says about me.